Be kind. Rewind. This is Dope Nostalgia. This episode of Dope Nostalgia is extremely exciting for me. Hi, I'm Naomi. I'm your host. And uh, this is episode 88 of Dope Nostalgia. My special guest today is Canada's metal queen. She's been in the business for quite a while. Um, and one of my biggest, hugest influences as a singer and a musician myself. Her name is Lee Aaron. And she took the time to be on the show, and I couldn't have been more happy about it. So we'll be getting to her interview shortly. Before we go there, uh, let's start with giving you some background on her history and get to know Lee Aaron a little better. Wikipedia Moments. Lee Aaron was born as Karen Lynn Greening in Belleville, Ontario, and began singing in school musicals at the age of five. She attended high school in Brampton, Ontario, and after singing in a music production when she was 15 years old, she was asked to join a local rock group called Lee Aaron. She sang, played alto saxophone and keyboards in this first incarnation of the band and took on the stage name of Lee Aaron. Erin recorded her debut album, The Lee Aaron Project, in 1982 on Freedom Records. The album featured well-known musicians of the Toronto music scene, including members of Moxie, Riff Raff, Santers, and Triumph's Rick Emmett. Although the album was available in the UK only as an import, Erin was invited to appear later that year at the Reading Festival. 1984's recording of the album Metal Queen resulted in a multi-album deal with Attic Records. Between 1984 and 1992, Erin toured extensively through Europe and made appearances on Japan and in the United States. She released six albums on Attic Records in Canada and international releases in the United Kingdom, Germany, Austria, Switzerland, and more. She won three Toronto Music Awards for Best Female Vocalist and 10 Juno nominations. Her most commercially successful album was Body Rock, released in 1989. The album included several hit songs, including What You Do To My Body, and was certified double platinum in Canada. Lee Aaron left Attic Records in 1992 to start up her album label, Hip Chick Music, releasing two more albums on it, like Emotional Rain, which is one of my favorites. And 1995's Too Precious Project was a record written with members of Sons of Freedom in which she dropped the name Lee Aaron entirely and used her real name, Karen. Then, she released a jazz album in the 2000s, Slick Chick, on her imprint, Barking Dog Music. She performed extensively in support of this release, showcasing at the top of the Senator in Toronto and various jazz festivals across Canada and Europe. She's released several albums over the years, sometimes jazz-influenced, sometimes pop, but always a rocker. Her new album, Radio On, is out now. And we're going to show you some clips of the new songs. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Lee Aaron. There you go. Here we are. Hey, finally connected. (laughs) Welcome to Dope Nostalgia. We're a show that talks a lot about what happened in the 90s and people's careers and what they're doing now. I've had the pleasure of seeing you live many times, meeting you a few times too. And it's so nice to have this chat with you. Well, so, that's 
Awesome. Where where have you seen me and where have we met? I'm curious about that. There was a casino in Edmonton. Um, your husband's um, acquaintance, Jerry from Edmonton, oh, okay. took me to yeah. come watch you guys one time during sound check and everything. Okay. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. That's so awesome. I'm, based, I'm based out of Edmonton. So, and then there was the Rock Fest the following year. Mm. I remember seeing you at that too. And yeah, no, it's, I've always been a big fan. So, yeah. Oh, thank you. Uh, we love Alberta. <laughs> Alberta has been very, very good to us. We always seem to be able to come back to the two major cities, Calgary and Edmonton, and mm. perform. And there just seems to be a never ending um, supply of love and support for our band, which is amazing. Yeah. Isn't that wonderful? And then the other thing that's really mm. cool too now, when you tour, you were telling me at the time that it's a lot easier nowadays than it used to be because now you don't have to slog across the country. It's more like you can get where you're going and just get on a plane and play. Yeah, it's, it's, um, touring has really evolved over the years for me. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, obviously in the very beginning of my career, I started out playing the, 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 the crapola club circuit, which was like every dive across Northern Canada that you could <laughs> play. We all cut our teeth playing that circuit, right? Mm -hmm. Um, that's where we all developed our chops. Um, and then of course, when I had very, very successful albums in the eighties and nineties, it was uh, a combination of large clubs, like the casino circuit didn't exist back then, right? Yeah. So it was a combination of large nightclubs and usually um, small arenas, right? Yeah. Um, so I did that and that was a bit of a slog. It was, a, you know, the arena shows were kind of the, um, you know, the anchor dates that paid the bills. And then we did a lot of secondary markets which were their larger nightclubs but now there's this whole circuit i mean it's kind of a it's kind of like getting in bed with the devil and loving him at the same time but these <laughs> yeah. gaming you know uh boards that have are all across canada now and this whole casino circuit that has arisen um you know i don't love the gambling part of it i'll be honest with you um mm -hmm. it's kind of a blessing and a curse it but it the these showrooms that they've built uh, that are attached to a lot of these casinos um there's a deal again that you've made with the devil where these casino gaming commissions have to give back to the arts community within their 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 local communities okay. and so they have these great budgets and these state-of-the-art showrooms for bands to play so now if i want to go to alberta I don't have to do a ton of little clubs. I can go do, you know, three or four of these big showrooms mm -hmm. in various major cities and that hold anywhere from 600 to 2000 people. And you can, rather than playing smaller venues. Right. And uh, yeah. so it's been great. We fly in, we have our back line and uh, do these shows. So it's, it's a, uh, it's a good thing. Right. I, I never knew about the whole um, giving back that they had to do for the community. And I think that's great because the arts sorely needs it across Canada. Um, well, that instead of just having, you know, the den of evil where people come and gamble, yeah. right? Like yeah. I hate to frame it that way, but it's, you know, casinos are not built on the backs of winners. Let's be honest. Right. It's, <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, it yeah. is what it is. Right. It's true. So one of the things that they've, uh, done is said well you know if you're gonna run this casino then let's have an you know something in tandem with that where we're giving 
art back to our community. So they have got these showrooms. They run comedy shows. They run, you know, mostly music, right? But yeah. um, but in the in the the upside of that is for bands like myself. A lot of the a lot of the sort of former headlining bands across Canada. We can come through Canada and play this circuit. That again, they've got wonderful budgets that can bring mm -hmm. us there. And they've got these state-of-the-art showrooms. So we're, you know, we've got wonderful uh, stages, wonderful sound systems, and, you know, big screens behind us. We've got, you know, the capability to put on these great shows. So there, there you go. How are the monitors? I always want to know. <laughs> oh, well, these days it's, it's different. Again, years ago when we played... You know, you were relying on these these front of the house front of the house wedges mm -hmm. and side fills for your monitors, but just pretty much everybody uses in ears now. So oh yeah, so you have your uh, own setup with you. Yeah, well, I'm a I'm an old school girl. I still like to hear that live sound, so mm -hmm. I'm usually doing a combination of. Um, I usually have one earbud out and one earbud in, and my monitor guy and my sound guy say that's so bad for your hearing. Don't do that. Oh. But but I I want to hear that live sound. Yeah. So usually I only have one in-ear monitor in at any time, given time, you know, but I mean, yeah, you know, in terms of being able to stay in pitch and uh, not wreck your hearing, they're great. Yeah. So. I imagine you feel less connected with the what's going on in the room when you have them both in. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's a bit of a weird mind psych when you've got them both in. I don't, I don't like it actually. <laughs> Cause I, I've heard that many times. Yeah, I'm sure you have. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to hear about this new album, Radio On. Now, is it all brand new music? It is. Yeah. Oh, this it's is exciting. Good. Yeah. So it's 12 brand new original songs. And um, the band and I, I got together. You know, one thing I can tell you is that when my band and I get together, it's magical things happen because everybody in the band is so gifted as a, as a writer and um, arranger. Mm -hmm. And so we had written the, the previous two studio albums by sending files back and forth, because even though three of us are from the West Coast and my guitarist, he's from Toronto, so we're bi-coastal, we don't all live in the same city. So we were sending files. But I said to Sean, who Sean Kelly, who's my guitarist, mm -hmm. you know, we got to get you on a plane. We got to get you out here because when we get in a room together, magical stuff happens. And um, we flew him out. I said, bring your best three or four ideas. And we got together and woodshedded literally for a weekend. And we wrote this album. I know that sounds awesome. crazy, but it, it's true. And um, then we went in and recorded it the week that COVID kind of went crazy around the world in March, 2020. Mm -hmm. So we were forced into lockdown after that, but we completed the album in our home studios. And um, it was released last week, I guess. And um, not last Friday, the Friday before. Mm -hmm. And sold out immediately, which was really shocking. We weren't expecting that. So I had, you know, I guess these are good problems to have, but I had fans yeah. online going, we, you know, we can't get it. It's now like sold out at Amazon and a variety of other venues, um, online retailers. And um, basically it's gone into second pressing now. So vinyl and CDs are forthcoming, but um, yeah. So people... I don't know. It's really resonating with people. So that's a great thing, right? It's a good problem. Like yeah. you said, Oh, that's exciting. Um, I can't wait to hear the whole thing too. And you mentioned vinyl. So that's really cool. This vinyl resurgence. Are you a vinyl collector yourself? Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha. 
Well, I always loved vinyl and I had some vinyl when I met my husband, but what I need to tell you is my husband is a massive vinyl collector. Um, in fact, he's going to be featured in an upcoming issue of Record Collector no because way. we have, well, we had to build an addition onto our house to house wow. the collection the size of a gymnasium. Yeah, it was a <laughs> thousand square foot addition. We yeah. have a collection in our home that is, I don't know, 200,000 pieces of vinyl. He bought the Fox Library when they got rid of their vinyl and he bought Jack Collins collection. Jack, yeah. I know it's crazy. Like he, we have, we, I'm, I'm living in a, in a, in a, a library of vinyl in my life. Yeah. So yeah, we, are we collectors? Yes. Very big, much so. That's incredible. Yeah. I'll have to check that out. Did you say which magazine is it that it's being featured? It's called, it's called record collector. Okay. It's a beautiful glossy mag. That's uh it's kind of, I probably guess, has a kind of a cult audience, but um, it is a magazine that's been going for years. It still continues to go. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe it's published out of, of, of the UK. Okay. Uh, it's called Record Collector. Just look it up, Record Collector Magazine. And yeah, my husband is going to be, they feature um, people that have pretty big collections monthly around mm-hmm. the world. And uh just ask them questions about their collections, their favorites and things like that, rare rarities and things that they have. Yeah. So he's going to be featured in an upcoming issue. Excellent. I know. Pretty, pretty awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, she's exceptional. Sometimes you gotta lose your cool to find your beautiful. I was going to ask, thinking of the 90s, of course, what was your favorite album that you released in the 90s? Ah, your personal that's favorite. That's a good question. You know, Some Girls Do came just at the tail end of, of the corporate rock vibe, right? Yeah. And then by the time I released, I released two more albums in the 90s. I released, actually, that's not true. I released three more because I did put out a the Powerline collection Mm-hmm. came out in 92, I believe, or 93. So that was a best of Learen, mm-hmm. which was kind of uh, an encapsulation of my attic catalog, my yeah. attic years. And then uh, Emotional Rain came out in 94. Mm. And uh, Two Precious came out in 95. Mm. I have a lot of fans tell me that Emotional Rain, mm-hmm. even looking back now, they say it was their favorite Learen album ever. And yep. I think... It's one of my favorites too, because it, I think it really captured what was the best of 80s Learen combined with um, all of the modern elements of the 90s sound. Mm-hmm. Um, that album, I brought uh, Reeves Gabrels from Bowie's Tin Machine. 
he came up and played on that album with me. I don't know if you're aware of that. No. And uh, yeah, well, I loved him, Bowie. I loved Tin Machine. And I'm like, I got to get some like players that, because my guitarist, John Albany, whom I've written and worked with for 12 years, he was transitioning out of the band at that time. He had decided he wanted to move to Nashville and become a producer mm. and start his own studio. He just felt it was time to leave. You know, he was a real 80s cat, right? You know, mm. he, he just loved White Snake and all of the best of the 80s. And I, and all due respect for that, but I was moving in a new direction. I loved 90s music. Mm. I totally embraced it. I'm like, I'm so down with Nirvana and Green Day and Pearl Jam and you know, <laughs> Frank Black and the Pixies and all that. I loved all that stuff. The Breeders, um, mm. Hole, you know, and um, I wanted to, you know, capture that for my sound. And um, so John was really cool with the idea of having some different players come up. So we got uh, Reeves Cabrels uh, came up and played on the album. And I also brought up um, Knox Chandler, who had played in the Psychedelic Furs. And uh, he brought a whole new thing to that vibe to that album as well. There's a song on Emotional Rain called This Side of Heaven. I'm so glad you said this. Okay. You like this song? (laughs) It's my favorite song on the album. Oh, really? I love that song too. But that song, when I'd worked on it without, John and I wrote it, John Albany and I, Mm -hmm. but it, to me, there was a, there was the biggest problem with that song when we originally wrote it was, you know, the top line was there, the melody, the lyrics, they didn't change, but the treatment of the instrumentation was again, very eighties white snake. And I, I was really struggling with that song. Mm -hmm. So I gave it to Knox and I said, come back tomorrow, just live with it and see what you can do with it. So he came back and he had this whole different treatment on the guitar, which was very like red hot chili peppers. I'm like, dude, you nailed it. Like, that's (laughs) what I wanted to hear. And so the treatment that you're hearing of that song on that album is, is, was way more my vision for that tune. And in the end, surprisingly enough, John Albany was really happy with it. He was so cool with it in the end. So, cause he Um, was involved in the production of that whole album. Yeah. Sounds like a musical genius. I tell you. Yeah. So damn thirsty And you were always so damn weak My cup flowed till it was dry and empty Your cup was always out of reach Oh baby, if we could have walked a mile in each other's shoes Well, we
And the cool thing about songs is that just the smallest details can completely change the mood, the day, like everything about the same melody and lyric, you know? It's Absolutely. Incredible. Absolutely. And that's, um, that's one of the things like, cause I've produced my last six albums. One of the things that I really pay close attention to is, you know, what is, I mean, I believe I'm a believer in like that less is more mm -hmm. than more. Like, you know, you want to have bigger sounding guitars, record two guitar, fat guitar tracks and pan them left and right. You, it's not, you don't need six or seven guitar tracks to make it sound bigger. In fact, the more um, frequencies and the more tones you start getting in there, they start canceling each other out yeah. sonically. And, and a lot of people don't understand that philosophy with recording. Um, and as well, yeah, sometimes it's, you want your course to sound bigger, then make your pre-section smaller. Don't mm. make, you don't need to make it bigger and bigger and bigger as you're leading up to it because then you have nowhere to go, right? Yeah. And th these are production tricks that um, I think were used extremely effectively in the night. It's the Nirvana's formula, right? It's like quiet, loud, mm -hmm. quiet, loud, you know? So um, yeah. So I, I think a lot about that when I'm working on stuff with the band, like, you know, sonically, what are we going to do here to make this sound bigger? Or conversely, what can we take it away to make, give it more space, right? Mm -hmm. And I feel like the same thing happens live on stage too, because I've noticed that like I used to have a band and you get guys that would just turn themselves up secretly louder and louder and louder. And you'd be like, no, you need a low stage volume. <laughs> Let oh, the yeah. sound guy do his job. Well, it's, it's interesting that you as a, I guess, cause you played in a band, you know, all this stuff about monitors and about, yeah. Are you kidding? I used to threaten the guys in my band with crazy glue on their volume knobs. <laughs> it was like, you know, it's like, dudes, I cannot hear myself, mm -hmm. you know, but then of course, throughout the course of the set, things would slowly start creeping up and creeping up. And you're like, this is why I have partial hearing loss in one of my years. And it's just from, yeah, mm -hmm. all those years of, loud guitars. I just like, thank the Lord for, you know, in-ear monitors now, you know? Mm. Now, when some do girls do came out, that's where I discovered you. And I'm glad you mentioned Powerline because the timing of that coming out was my ability to go back into your back catalog. And oh, okay. Yeah. So I know like we're going to be telling people all about where your career started and whatnot leading into the interview, but yeah, like you had a lot going on from the eighties on. So it's nice to focus on what's coming up, especially because there was a time in your career, I know where you also recorded with the sons of freedom. Yes. Mm -hmm. So this is a, a little, um, people know not very much about that portion of my career, just because as we all know, grand grunge changed the landscape of everything. And, um, you know, uh, Everyone who had, you know, if I can say this, I hate to say the word hair metal because re to reduce a form of a music style or form to, to make it that reductive, to reduce it to a hairstyle, you know, mm. it seems wrong. And that would be like saying, you know, flannel music, right? Yeah. Well, and, and, and making 90s music, reducing it to, uh, to, to flannel or something mm. like that, the clothes people wore. Uh, because there were, yes, did corporate rock get really crappy in the late 80s? 
Well, yeah, it did because it got co-opted and bought out by all the corporations, the big labels, right? Who thought it was just a style that they could emulate by finding songs, finding producers and finding pretty girls to sing it or conversely cute guys with big hair, right? Yeah. That's why it got crappy. But there were a lot of bands who started out making music. Like I was a teenager when I was singing this stuff in the early eighties. Right. Mm. Um, And I was in a rock band since the time I was 15. I loved Led Zeppelin and Deep Purple and all of those blues rock bands that started out organically and authentically making this music. And so I didn't come from that place. I came from a very organic and authentic place. Does that make sense? So when the nineties happened, I just, it was like, well, I'm not with those guys. They can't reduce me to that. So it was very shocking for me to be, um, to go, oh, I have just been lumped into that form of music by the media. And it was, I couldn't get arrested in the nineties. None of us could, it was really hard. Mm -hmm. So I, I had nothing to lose when I did that album with Sons of Freedom. I'm like, you know, I, you know, the emotional rain, even though, again, in hindsight, now people say it's one of their best, my best albums, and mm-hmm. people say they love it the, sometimes the most. Um, you know, I had nothing to lose at that point, because I knew that no matter what I did it going forward, it was going to be a, a struggle. So I just sold everything. I sold everything I owned. I took my guitar and my car and a suitcase and I drove out to the West coast and I moved out there and I'm like, okay, guys, let's write a record because those guys loved working with me because I had the rhythm section, obviously on emotional rain. And uh, yeah, I wrote a whole album with that band and uh, looking like, I think that album is, I think one of my best artistic accomplishments, even though commercially it wasn't that successful because just simply virtue of the fact that my name was attached to it. It was really hard, you know, Uh, but I, I loved making that record. Um, It's out of print and very hard to find now. I have a few isolated copies at my house, Mm. but um, the uh, moving forward into 2022, one of the things that I am looking at doing um, partnering with Unidisc who owns part of my back, back catalog, is doing another um, ultimate Learn Ultimate Collection and allowing those songs to have a little showcase on that Ultimate Collection so they can see the light of day again, hopefully. Oh, that's a fantastic idea. I would love that.
I definitely feel like you're a huge inspiration to the females who want to not only rock, but perform in any genre they desire, because you did that. You took a, upon yourself to explore all the genres you love, and then you put out a jazz album. Did you feel confident in crossing genres when you did and how, how you went about it? Well, that's a great question. Um, I grew up singing jazz and blues and Broadway standards, old, old Gershwin and Hart, um, Gershwin, Rogers and Hart, uh, sorry. And, um, you know, all of that music. So when I went and did that album in the late 90s, again, it was kind of a result of, you know, Too Precious didn't sell. You know, the guys in that band weren't sure what they were going to, they were, they're like, we're going to go get day jobs because we, you know, we can't make a living doing this right now. It was the 90s were tough for yeah. a lot of rock artists like myself. And um, I had, uh, a lot of people don't know this story as well, but I had um, borrowed at that point in time, borrowed and or self-financed up uh, close to half a million dollars between the Emotional Rain album <clears throat> and uh, the Two Precious album. And I found myself in 1996 with a manager that's like, you know, I don't know how to sell this because he was an 80s guy. So he went and took a job as a foreign licensing rep for Koch America. My lawyer kind of jumped ship. These are the guys that had sort of convinced me to move forward, start my own label, do some self-financing. And anyway, to make a long story short, I found myself kind of without a lawyer and manager that we were on board to help steer the ship. And in, in close to a half a million dollars worth of debt. So I had to go bankrupt in 96. Wow. And um, that was tough. I was, it was a dark period for me. Um, I was pretty depressed. I took a year off. I didn't sing. Mm. And I took a lot of comfort and solace in playing all my old Billie Holiday albums and no Nina Simone records and all of this jazz music that I kind of secretly loved because you're not advertising that fact when you were... 80s rocker because they were they didn't a lot of a lot of um, people in the rock camp didn't really understand that this these were the roots of rock and roll this is where it came yeah. from right mm -hmm. um, what do you think Jimi Hendrix was listening to before he plugged his guitar in and turned it up to 11 he was listening to old muddy waters and Helen Wolf right yeah Chuck Berry and um, so when I did that music number one it was I had no desire to get back on the pulp pop culture bandwagon again. So I just wanted to do something that I loved and something that was completely different. So my motivation was 100% authentic. And I mm -hmm. sure wasn't doing it to make money because there is no money in jazz. Mm -hmm. um, it was just an artistic diversion. And I took a lot of comfort in that. I wasn't really expecting it to be successful. But as soon as I started singing jazz and blues around some small nightclubs in the Vancouver area, Suddenly all like the sun was there, the star, all these big papers, they were reviewing it. I was getting all these great reviews and a lot of media attention mm. and it just kind of snowballed. And the next thing you knew, I was by the late nineties, I was being invited to play jazz festivals all across Canada. And I, I was, people were like, you had, you need to make her an album. And I was like, okay. So I, again, I didn't have a lot of money back then. So I got pro tools and, uh, interface and I did a made a home setup and pretty much recorded most of the two pressure I'm sorry the um not too precious but um the slick chick album 
by myself and produced it myself. Mm. And not, again, not really expecting it to be that successful, but um, it ended up being quite moderately successful. I got a distributor out of Montreal that picked it up and, uh, and then convinced me to do the, the uh, Beautiful Things album again in 2004. So that was another extension of that phase of my career. Ask me if I'd like to go around the world with you If we could leave tomorrow Baby, you know I'd love to Ask me if I'd like to spend a day in the jungle with you As long as we're together, boy Baby, you know I'd love to I'd love to quit my job Dress like a slob, run naked in the rain Color my hair, maybe green if I dare As long as I'm with you I'm Josh Rodriguez. And I'm Mike Zacchio. And we are the, the new, new pod, pod on, on the block. block. Every week, Mike and I will be breaking down our obsession with everything boy band culture. From bangers to bops to fashion and everything in between. If it's boy band related, we've got you covered. We also want you to be a part of it. So call to our hotline and leave a voicemail for the show. 818-308-4084. Be sure to subscribe, give us five stars, and leave us a review. Follow me at Mike underscore Zacchio. And I'm Josh Rodriguez at Josh underscore Rodriguez underscore. You can follow New Pod on the Block on Instagram at New Pod on the Block. New Pod on the Block. Every week on your favorite podcast platform. Hey friends, you know what I really love doing is podcasting. It's so much fun, and I've been so lucky because I've talked to amazing people so far doing this show, and I'm trying to bring you guys the very best content I can. Now, in doing that, it does get kind of expensive, and I'm on a little bit of a budget to do so, but there's a way you guys can help out, and it's called Patreon. If you visit our Patreon page, you can subscribe to our podcast and get all kinds of ultimate perks just for subscribers. There's different tiered levels, so you can join for only $1 a month if you'd like. What's in it for you? Bonus content. We'll give you a shout-out on the show. We're going to be recording all kinds of super secret stuff just for our Patreon subscribers. And in doing that, in subscribing, you're going to help us pay the bills. Help me pay my phone bill when I'm calling people far away for an interview. Help us pay for our licensing fees so we can play you awesome music clips and so much more to help keep this boat afloat. Join our Patreon at patreon.com slash dope nostalgia. Pizza Hut, making it great. Mention Pizza Hut buffet to your family and watch them come running. It's all the pizza, pasta, and salad you can eat. Just $3.99 for adults and $1.99 for kids who tend to get hungry too. So when your appetite says buffet and your budget says bargain, Pizza Hut's got all you can eat. Call your hometown Pizza Hut restaurant for Sunday buffet serving hours. $3.99 for adults and $1.99 for kids. Yeah, no, I think, um, and that's probably where the catalyst was for you to start producing your own music at that point then too, wasn't it? Having that studio set up? Oh, the, well, the, the impetus originally was lack of money. <laughs> you no. know, I was like, I don't have thousands and thousands of dollars to go in 
to a big studio and watch that clock ticking, right? Because Mm -hmm. when you're limited by the clock ticking in a studio, you know, well, it's limiting that, you Mm -hmm. know, let's be honest. So um, again, the original inspiration was, you know, lack of finances, but that snowballed into me kind of geeking out and going, this is cool. And I like this technology and I can do this. And, you know, years ago when I was a teenager in bands, I did a lot of my own recording with uh, TIAC reel-to-reel machines, right? Uh So I was learning this technology years before, but now it was in the digital realm. So um, again, I, um, I, I just really kind of embraced it and it just snowballed from there. And now of course I've got another, I'm working in Apple logic now, but uh, have a home set up and there's a lot of um, freedom and wonderful things that you can do by having your own setup as well. You know, the luxury of recording, you know, vocals in your pajamas. And if you don't like them, you just erase them and do them again tomorrow. Isn't that great? And you don't have to be under the pressure of the clock and, and the producer at the time telling you, you didn't do this right. Or (laughs) you get to make that decision. Yeah, absolutely. And now like, of course, women like yourself, Sass Jordan, these are, you guys were the people who drove me to want to be a singer. Now, yeah. And, and when, we think about like women in the industry. What's, what do we do as women to lift each other? You know, like what, what would you say? Cause women can have reputations sometimes of being catty towards one another. Um, luckily I don't see that a lot anymore, but um, what do you think we can do to support each other as females in and out of the music? Well, that's interesting that you say that because um, back in the eighties, and even throughout the 90s, there was a um, there was a bit of yeah, definitely more of a caddy dynamic. And I the thing is, my I've never been a mean-spirited person or had that kind of a heart. And so I was really taken aback by that dynamic. Um, I was always down for touring with my sisters. It's like I know that in the 90s, um, you know, when some girls do was successful, I toured with Darby when she had her solo project, Darby Mills. And uh, I was like, I think this is so great that we can, you know, have this power women kind of dynamic and support each other. Mm -hmm. Um, So I, I never understood that. And I know that even in the media, sometimes, you know, people, other women had said, and I don't want to name any names, had said things that were either negative about me. And I was just like, what's, what's up with that? Like, I don't, I've always felt that we should support each other. And um, so the ways that we can do that, you know, certainly on social media, like I, I try to friend all of the the women that I love. Like I'm friends with the Wilson sisters. I'm friends with Darby. I'm friends with Doral Cash. I'm friends with, you know, um, M. Griner. And um, I'm just trying to think of who else, like, um, you know, Jan Arden, Biff Naked, like all these Mm -hmm. people that I, Sass Jordan, that I love. And I like their posts. I comment on their posts and I'm, you know, if there's, uh, you know, we've, you know, just recently, you know, Darby was private messaging me and we talk and I'm like, you know, go girl, you know, like, mm-hmm. or, you know, when something bad had happened in her, her recently, she lost a parent. And I was like, you know, so sorry that you're, you know, I, I felt terrible because I know that pain. I lost my mom three years ago, you know, um, you know, just mm-hmm. be kind to each other, support each other. Um, 
direct your fans to go listen to their stuff, you know, mm-hmm. tour together. I mean, obviously we've been completely derailed from touring with COVID, but right. you know, I have done many uh, triple bills in the past where it's been, you know, myself, Headpins Toronto, myself, Sass Jordan, myself, Darby, my, you know, um, my other Canadian women sisters, like if we can tour together, um, I recently pre COVID played a, a billing in Winnipeg with Lita Ford, you know, oh, and cool. Lita's like, Hey sister, come up and sing. Let's sing a song together. The two Canadian rock, you know, you know, the Canadian rock queen and the American rock queen were together to, you know, let's. Um, and so we <clears throat> had the opportunity to get on stage together. I got up and sang cherry bomb with her and it's up on YouTube, you know, like, Oh, so, that's so cool. You know, <laughs> I so, love that. You know, I think that there really should be, I'm really very much for supporting this sisterhood of camaraderie mm. where, and you know, of all the times when we should have been supporting each other, it should have been the eighties when there was that catty dynamic going on, which mm. again, I never understood. I wrote the song metal queen because women were so, um, you know, marketed in such a sexual manner manner we had to fight so hard for artistic respect. You know, <clears throat> I was on Some Girls Do, and people didn't, a lot of the media, they were like, they didn't even understand that I wrote my own songs. Really? You know, because there was that dynamic in the 80s where record company was take, oh, here's a pretty girl that can sing, and we can dress her like this, and we'll find her some songs, and we'll put her with this big producer, and we'll create this com- marketable commodity, right? Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and, uh, you know, for me, the song Metal Queen, that was all about women need to take back our power. Mm-hmm. We need to take it back. We can we can command this stage and command this genre of rock and roll just as good as the men can. And they need to know that. And um, <clears throat> because to some degree, women were treated like a novelty, mm-hmm. especially in the field of rock. And that's what that song was about for me. And a beautiful thing is Unidisc just re-released it on Record Store Day this year on pink vinyl. Like I couldn't, hot pink vinyl. I couldn't think of a more feminist message than that. Wow. You know? And so um, I knew, I wrote Metal Queen for my, my rock and roll sisters. That's what that song was about. But it got lost in the 80s marketing of, of you know, you know, it's like it's sandwiched in between. And I've spoken about this before, you know, Wasp. You know, the band Wasp, I mean, I, and I know Blackie Lawless has since apologized for this, but they were like, you know, these guys had a had a topless woman chained up on stage with a bag over her head and they were setting her on fire. Did you know this? No. It's, it's crazy. Like, and it's like, that's not okay, guys, no. you know? So, but that's the kind of marketing we were battling against in the 80s, right? Yeah. That wow. kind of treatment of women. I know. I, it, am I tell, telling you something shocking? It's, it's very, <laughs> yes. I'm glad you did, but I was like, that threw me off. Um, oh, I <laughs> yeah, You're she wants to be part it. of it. Um, but I remember when you sang that too, watching some girls do video, and I felt that empowerment from watching the video that you were in control of what was going on. You were con- and, and even the lyrics and everything told me that this is pretty inspiring because you can be a really cool lady in power of your life and your love and everything. And that's the message I got from it. 
Well, thank you. That's exactly, you know, I have a bit of a, a history of writing um, empowerment songs on every single album I've done. Mm. Um, it's just, it's my thing. The, the latest being the song Vampin, which is this um, one of the singles from Radio On, which is all about get you know, falling off the tracks, but then getting getting yourself back up, dusting mm. yourself off like a phoenix rising from the ashes and getting your groove back. Nice. That's what that song is about. And some girls do. Some girls do was about busting sexual stereotypes, breaking down sexual stereotypes. It's like, no, I don't have to be a man to wear the pants if I want to. Mm-hmm. That's that. And I'm sure if that message translated to you as a young woman, I'm that that's all I ever wanted. You know, yeah. I'm glad that message got across. So it worked. <laughs> yeah. music career allowed you to travel to and visit and were you able to take in the opportunity to see new places or were you just busy doing the music uh that's yeah i have been the only place in the world i think i haven't been is australia and new zealand oh wow and possibly yeah russia we were scheduled to go to russia at one point in time but there was immigration and political issues that prevented us from going but I have toured all throughout Europe, the Benelux, the UK. Um, I have been through Italy, Spain, Barcelona, uh, all across Canada. I have toured down in the States, not a lot in the States, but I've done the whole Eastern mm. Seaboard. I've done showcases in on California, LA. Um, so I'd say I've seen probably three quarters of the world in my touring. Sometimes I've had a day off where I've been able to explore, like, you know, in Europe, you know, going to staying in little, you know, German towns that look like everything looks like a gingerbread house and (laughs) they've got all this cool beer on tap. And, you know, uh, so that was fun. But there's a lot of a lot of my 80s touring, I have to be honest, was a bit of a blur blur. I saw the inside of arenas arena showers the inside of a bus radio stations and the auto hotel room and i didn't really get to see a lot of it because 
it was bang, 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 night after night after night in different towns, yeah. you know? Um, so one of the things, you know, now that life has opened up a little bit and my kids are teens, I always say to them, I want to take you to Europe. I want to take you to these places I've been and actually take time to breathe it in and actually see it. Right. Oh, that's wonderful. Are your kids musical? Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> our son, um, our son loves punk rock music. He's learning to play guitar. He wants to start a band, but he can't find any of his buddies that will get off gaming long enough to start a band. That's a, oh, you know, it's a tragedy with some of these kids, right? Like mm-hmm. social media and gaming culture has so taken over, you know, and I'm, I, I just, I'm like, dude, like turn your computer off for a couple hours and practice guitar. And mm-hmm. he does. He, he actually is really getting into it. He loves Green Day. That's his favorite band. Wow. <laughs> and um, our daughter is, uh, now my dog's coming to be kind of, you want me to let you out, don't you? I will in a minute. <laughs> um, our daughter loves musical theater. And so she, she just uh, finished doing a production of Newsies. She had one of the, she played Jack. She had a lead. And um, previous to that, she's been, Again, involved in musical theater. She loves Broadway musicals. She's got an incredible voice. She's an incredible little actress and I'm just so proud of her. Um, And the funny thing is she thinks she's, I'm telling you this quietly, she thinks she's the absolute opposite of me. You know, ooh, mom and her rock music, right? (laughs) Like, (laughs) and she, you know, I love sophisticated stuff like Broadway shows and Broadway musicals and she's exactly a mini me because that's exactly what I was doing at her age you know <laughs> that's what that was my musical training right so yeah it's funny what's food clothing item toy etc would make you nostalgic for the 90s what's something that pops into your head oh my my platform Doc Martens nice <laughs> like you know and they, I don't care what decade it is it is. I still wear my 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 military boots. My husband hates hates them. He's like he's like they're so unfeminine. They're like I don't care. They're my favorite one of my favorite clothing items. So oh, to me, wow. flannel flannel and military wear is always in. So mm-hmm. yeah, it'll never go out. I still love docs. I still bought a brand new pair of docs like three years ago. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know? I like the new with the double platform ones they have now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gotta I get the mistake wild. of go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> Sorry, I made the mistake of trying to wear them on an icy like January day. Though they do not grip very well. No, that that yeah, that <laughs> shiny um, flat plastic surface. No, <laughs> yeah, they're right. not that good for Canadian winter. That's for sure. Um, so now that we know all about radio on, um, and of course you're getting more produced right away so that people can get it off your website. Where else can we find it? And what are you looking forward to going forward? What are your goals coming up? Oh, well, I got a lot, but um, yeah. So if people want to buy radio on, uh, which it's such a cool record, I just have to tell you, I don't know if you've, uh, I'm going to get my guy to send you a press link with a passcode so you can actually go and download it for free. (laughs) <laughs> yes. Because it's such a cool album. I'm so proud of it. The guys in my band just did such a great job on this album. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really, it's really hip. It's it's sort of like uh what the what you love the most about 80s and 90s rock, but with a modern edge. Mm, so nice. uh, if you go to learn.com, there are links to all the retailers to buy it. That's probably the best place to go. 
Okay. It'll take you to a buy page that has all the retailers because you can't buy it directly from me, mm-hmm. but um, it'll take you there. So leearn.com and uh, going forward. Well, I'm writing my memoirs right now. I'm hoping to have a book out by next year. Um, yeah, it's all about, it's not just my rock and roll stories. It is some of that, but it's a lot about my childhood and the experiences in my life that kind of informed who I became and why I became an artist. Right. Fantastic. I became a girl that wanted to play rock and roll that had some angry things to say, (laughs) you know? Um, So I'm working on that. Uh, um, You know, if you go to my Instagram every Tuesday, I have a little thing called ask Lee. Uh, Mm. You can send your questions to ask Lee at leearn.com. And uh, every Tuesday I, during COVID, especially I've been trying to connect with my fans that way and give them a shout out and answer their questions because, uh, it's been tough not being able to tour, right? And go out and do live shows. Um, that I've, I've got that going on continually. So you can check my socials. There's Learn Music on Facebook. And um, uh, coming up as well, I have um, a couple shows. You're, did you say you're in Calgary? Edmonton. Okay, I am in, well, I'm in Calgary on October 30th at the Deerfoot Casino. The Chrome showroom there. We're playing a Halloween show. It's going to be fun. Sweet. Although I think it's a, I don't know if it's mask up or no masks. I'm not sure. It's Halloween. Yeah. <laughs> we'll have to see what happens. <laughs> that is true. It is Halloween. So that's coming up. And um, this coming month, um, I know it sounds crazy, but I'm going in the studio. Um, I'm starting pre-production on the 18th of, uh, we're doing a quickie day of pre-production on the 19th of August. I'm going into uh, the studio here in Vancouver with Mike Fraser, the illustrious Mike Fraser of ACDC at fame. That's probably the most notable band he's done recently. Mm. Um, wonderful, talented gentleman, because the band and I, uh, dur- during COVID, have written a whole other new album. So I know. <laughs> you took advantage of this time to be creative, and I love that. Well, Radio One was finished in November of last year, mm-hmm. and it took that long to secure a record deal, to manufacture, to do the artwork, to get distribution. So it's coming out now, but it was finished for us last year, mm-hmm. right? So between January and now, what else are we going to do? <laughs> just been being, and I'm just, I'm constantly writing ideas down and being creative. So are the guys in the band. So we're bouncing ideas back and forth and, uh, yeah, we have an album written. So we're going to go and record this month as well, Good. which is crazy, but fun. I'm excited. Good. You're ahead of the game. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so happy to hear that. And I'm so happy you spent this time with me today. It was an honor to speak with you. And and then next time you're in Edmonton, which I'm sure is going to happen sooner than later, then I'll come out and see you. That'd be awesome. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure we'll be there very soon. So. All right. You have That's a wonderful great. day. And thanks again. Awesome, Naomi. It was great talking to you. You too. Take care. Take care. Bye. Bye. Don't know how we got here, but man, we really got here. Now I'm stuck here in the middle with you. Elevator up, down, kicking to the last round, doing what we all gotta do. You gotta rock, you gotta roll, you gotta feed the fire inside of your soul. Time's on going side, might as well enjoy the ride.
goes One fine day we all gotta go If you gotta go, baby, don't go Kids, put down that Tamagotchi and listen for a second. You know, you can follow us on Twitter at NostalgiaDope, Instagram at Dope underscore Nostalgia. Visit our website at www.dopenostalgia.com or pick up the phone and call us at 780-851-8785. This podcast is licensed by SoCan because we believe that artists should be paid for their work.